electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. Thank you very much, Scott, and welcome to The Exchange. I'm Dominic Chu in for Kelly Evans, and here's what's ahead. Another day, another stronger consumer number. Confidence hitting its highest level in more than three years, but the labor market's flashing some caution signs. Could that data divergence put the Fed on pause? With the FOMC meeting kicking off today, Paul McCulley tells us when he expects the first rate cut will be. And we're in the thick of earnings season. Five of the Magnificent Seven stocks reporting this week. Alphabet and Microsoft kicking off after the closing bell today. And while both are at record highs, one tech watcher warns AI could derail one of those runs. Plus, social media CEOs could be in for a fiery hearing on Capitol Hill tomorrow. The Snapchat CEO calling it socials seatbelt moments as both companies and lawmakers look to rein in the negative impacts on kids. Who's taking the stand and who's notably absent of that coming up on the show? But before all that, let's check on the markets right now. The Dow, the S&P 500 and the Nasdaq, you can see they're pretty much moving at least to the upside marginally for the Dow Industrials. The S&P just down about one quarter of one percent. The Nasdaq composite off nearly one percent. Checking on Treasuries, the 10-year hitting its lowest level in about two weeks ahead of tomorrow's big rate decision from the Fed. Right now, the 10-year note yield, you can see 4. at least 0.8, it looks like. The two-year note yield, 4.38%. And want to look at two big earnings movers. Let's get the bad news out first. Shares of UPS are sinking on disappointing revenue and weaker full-year guidance. The shipper also announced it's cutting 12,000 jobs and is exploring strategic alternatives for its truckload brokerage business. Those shares down about 7% today. Meanwhile, on the other side, General Motors, they're up a little more than 7% on top and bottom line beats and stronger than expected guidance. CEO Mary Barra telling CNBC that 2024 is going to be a strong year for GM's electric vehicles. That's the state of play in the markets. We're a little more than 24 hours away from the big Fed rate decision. And remember, this time a year ago, Nearly every economist out there was forecasting a slowdown in the middle or end of 2023. Well, they're still expecting one, according to the latest CNBC Fed survey. And of course, Steve Leisman has those results. It's the most eagerly anticipated recession that doesn't seem to happen. Still waiting, still waiting, uh, Dominic. The CNBC Fed survey shows forecast. Forecasters still seeing a slowdown, Dom, but one not nearly as severe as they misforecast a year ago. Respondents have backed off the recession call, but not a call for slower growth. Let's take a look at the past here. Here's what happened last year. They forecast GDP in January for 2023 at 0.4. They had another shot at it in June. It was 0.8. Well, it came in at 3.1%, so well off. Unemployment was forecast to be 4.5 in January, then 4.2. Came in virtually unchanged at 3.7. CPI may be a little better. Two and a half was forecast, 3.5 in June, and then it came in at 3.2. Forecasters shared the widely held belief that higher rates would slow growth to a crawl, raise the unemployment rate, and bring down inflation. They were only close on the direction 
of inflation coming down. For this year, here are the numbers. Remember that GDP at 3.1? That's the Q over, Q4, Q4 annualized. Uh, 1.3 now, so a slowdown, but not as severe as last time. Unemployment rate does tick up 6 tenths to 4.3%, and CPI continues to fall. That's the headline CPI number forecast to come in at 2.7%. While the recession probability has fallen to 39%, the lowest since the spring of 2022, there is a wide range of views on the outlook, Dom. Uh, economist Robert Fry writes in with the survey, with the yield curve inverted since November 2022, leading economic indicators down 21 months in a row, and the M2 money supply declining year over year, I just can't bring myself to abandon my recession forecast. But Mark Zandi writes in, he says, it is difficult not to be, to be more upbeat about the economy's prospects. Zandi sees threats ahead, pointing specifically to geopolitical risks. Overall, respondents see the Fed moving more slowly to cut rates than the futures markets does. The probability of a March rate cut fell to 40% today, but just 9% of our survey respondents see a March cut. Dom, that first uh, cut, 70% uh, see that happening in June. All right, 70%. Seems like reasonable for later on this year. Steve, you're going to stick with us here because our next guest says that while the economy is in a good place and inflation is softening, Powell will resist market pressure and hold off on cuts until July. Yes, this summer, July. So joining me now with that view is Paul McCulley, the former chief economist at PIMCO and currently an adjunct professor at Georgetown's McDonough School of Business. Uh, Professor, it's great to see you. Always great to get your thoughts. So let's talk about why July. It does seem much more reasonable and consensus and less aggressive than the market would expect. I don't have a huge quarrel with the survey that says June. There is no difference between June and the July. I think the economic community is correct uh, in being less aggressive than where the futures market is. It's the difference between economics uh, and money management. Uh, so I don't have any quarrel with that uh, consensus. Uh, and I think the fundamental issue is that there is no urgency for the Fed to ease. In the fullness of time, they need to ease to validate what the marketplace has already done in easing financial conditions, which will be supportive of the economy. But there's no urgency for them to do that. It's only over time, as well as the fact I think they uh, have to guard against being too aggressive in their rhetoric about easing uh, because of the risk uh, that financial conditions will not just be comfortably easier, uh, but too exuberant. Now, Paul, what exactly in your mind is giving the Fed that extra time, that extra cover? What are the market conditions that you're seeing? And what exactly is the data showing you that says the Fed does not have to be urgent about lowering interest rates to help spur some economic activity? Well, I think the data is speaking for itself, including the fourth quarter GDP, the employment data, the consumer confidence data. There's just a whole plethora of data uh, that's saying that there is no urgency about easing because there is limited visible downside to the economy. And with respect to the markets, it's important to recognize the markets have eased a potload over the last three months. We're down more than a full percentage point uh, on uh, mortgage rates. Uh, the entire long end of the curve is mirroring uh, that. Uh, we also have the positive animal spirit effects 
uh, of the equity market and corporate spreads uh, are tight and getting tighter. So there is nothing in the financial markets that is restraining economic growth right now, and the data is fine. So when you look at that uh, as a Fed official, there's no sense of urgency. You know you got to ease in time to validate what the market has done, but you can do it on your timetable as opposed to bullying from the markets. Now, Steve, uh, earlier today, hedge fund titan Ken Griffin was down in Miami at a big event, and CNBC's own Leslie Picker was moderating a conversation with him. And I want to read the quote that he said during that. The Federal Reserve can start to cut rates come this summer, and we will see unemployment touch up a little bit. But the overall economy looks pretty damn good right now. Is it fair to say that the economy is pretty damn good right now? And if so, why is the Fed in such a conundrum? Why is there even a debate about what the policy should be? Well, let me stipulate, Dom, we pay the Fed to be in a conundrum. That's where they're supposed to be, right in the middle, right? They're supposed to be balancing between all of these things that are out there. Um, Paul has done a wonderful job not walking up this conversation, so let me do so, um, which is this. Um, Paul has skirted around this very, very important question here of where the right neutral rate is for the Fed policy. And what's happening right now is you have these two things going on relatively high above potential growth and inflation falling. Not supposed to be happening. All of that could suggest, Dom, that perhaps the neutral rate is higher than we believe or than the Federal Reserve believes and that the Fed is not really exercising that much restraint on the economy, which leads to this question, and I think this is exactly what Paul is getting at, which is, if it ain't broke, how much fixing should the Fed be doing? And the conclusion that some people are coming to, and I, I'm learning right now that my friend Paul McCulley has come to that conclusion, the answer is maybe not a whole lot of fixing. All right, so it was only a matter of time, Professor, before Steve brings up our star and everything else that we want to look at. So, so let's talk about that natural rate of interest, the R star, whatever jargon people want to use to describe those conditions. As an economist, let's talk about that short-term rate picture. What do you feel as though that kind of neutral rate should be in order for this economy to progress naturally higher without stoking overt inflation all over again? The first thing to say is we don't know what it is. Uh, and I operate by Chair Powell's maxim, which is that it reveals itself by its works. You know what our star is, not by pulling it out of the air, but looking at the economy and seeing how it's responding to, how it's growing with any particular given interest rate. And I think the important thing at this juncture to talk about is the fact that during the uh, teens, during the, you know, from 2012 through until the pandemic, the Fed persistently overestimated our star. In 2012, when it first re released the dot plot, it said that our star was over 4%. On the cusp of the pandemic, it said two and a half. So it reduced uh, its estimate of R star for a decade because the economy was persistently weak and inflation was below target. 
So the two and a half that we have now, which the Fed is still printing as its R star estimate, reflects the prior decade. So as we move forward and look at where we are in the economy and the resilience of the economy, it seems to me that two and a half number is no longer operative. And I think it will be revised up over time. And my instinct is something about three and a half. Uh, so that would set the marker for where the new terminal rate will be in the easing cycle to come, not two and a half, but three and a half, which means that a 10 year in and around four percent is fairly valued. All right. So that that's OK. We're going to give Steve the last word here Donald. because I think he wants to jump in. Steve. Yeah, just very, very quickly. The thing about Powell is he's not an economist, has a deep understanding of these issues, but he doesn't come to it with a preordained view. Uh, in other words, a theory or, or, or a rule that tells him where that should be. That makes it very difficult to forecast the future. It also makes him nimble. And I was thinking it's a bit like asking a religious professor to explain the religion versus uh, a cleric himself or herself. So you will not get necessarily a dogmatic answer. He's very nimble. He's going to watch it as it works, but it does make it difficult and sometimes a little exasperating for the market to figure out just where he's going. All right. All eyes on the Fed for tomorrow afternoon right here on CNBC. Professor McCauley, thank you very much. Our own Steve Leisman. We'll see you guys soon. All right. And while a cut tomorrow would be a huge surprise to just about anybody out there, and the markets included, our next guest warns a too slow Fed will be what throws the U.S. into a recession and that Powell shouldn't wait any longer for those rate cuts. Joining me now with how he's positioning ahead of tomorrow's big Fed decision is Vahan Janjigian, chief investment officer at Greenwich Wealth Management. Uh, Vahan, uh, you've been on this program before, and we've talked a little bit about trends in the market and the economy and otherwise. Why is it that you think the Fed needs to cut sooner rather than later? Well, hi, Don. Thanks for having me back. Um, Yes, so the Fed has done a really good job of bringing down inflation. Um, But one thing we know is that um, interest rate changes, monetary policy works with a lag, and that's true on the way up as well as the way down. The Fed was a little too slow, uh, perhaps a lot slow, in raising interest rates. Um, And now I'm afraid they might be too slow in lowering interest rates. We're very close to that 2% target. I don't think the Fed needs to wait any longer. Now, I'm not saying that they should be aggressive. In fact, I think that by the end of this year, uh, the Fed funds rate will be higher than what the market is currently anticipating um, and that it should be. But I think the Fed should start cutting rates now, 25 basis points, perhaps every other meeting, and getting it down to a more normal level. And that I'd also like to see the yield curve normalize. Um, we still have a very inverted yield curve. I'd like to see uh, long-term rates go up a little bit from here and the Fed funds rate going down to perhaps about 4%. All right. So a steeper yield curve, so to speak. Now, that's, that's a good thing. But over the last, we're just one to two years removed, Vahan, from the worst inflation that this country has seen in 40 years, 40 to 50 years. Why is it that we should not be worried that inflation could be a problem again and that the rate cuts maybe don't need to happen as imminently because we are still concerned about that erosion of buying power for much of middle America? 
Well, the first thing I would say is, why did we have uh, this kind of inflation? And I would say it was all pandemic related or primarily pandemic related. This was supply side inflation. It wasn't so much demand side inflation. So, yes, the Fed should have acted more quickly. But but monetary policy was not really going to be as effective as straightening out the uh, the supplies um, and getting rid of these supply constraints. Um, so I don't expect that kind of inflation again. Now, one thing I am very concerned about is the geopolitical issues, especially in the Middle East. They do have the potential to push up inflation. Um, so as a result, I don't think the Fed needs to be very aggressive. I think getting it down to about 4% by year end uh, is a good target. But I don't think they should wait any longer. I think they need to start doing 25 basis point cuts every other meeting to send the market a signal that things are, are getting close to their target and we can ease up a little bit on interest rates. Monetary policy is a bit too tight right now. I'd like to see that yield curve uh, you know, go upward sloping, as you said. That's a very good, uh, healthy sign for the economy. All right, Vahan, markets right now, for those not watching or listening on SiriusXM or anywhere else, we're at session highs for the stock market right now, so kind of pushing back towards some of those higher levels we've seen. I'd like to take you to the picks that you'd like right now, given that kind of setup and given your expectations for the Fed. Okay, well, you know, right now I'm pretty much holding. Um, you know, I do have fairly large positions in, in two value stocks, uh, IBM, and Verizon, these are positions I've established a while ago. Very recently, they've started to do very well. They pay great dividends. I'm not really adding more because they are fairly large positions. Um, you know, things to add, I do like small cap stocks. Um, I'm also getting very interested in energy again. I think energy stocks do have the potential to go up, especially with the Middle East tensions. And as far as uh, pairing back, you know, I did have a position in NVIDIA. Um, I've kind of reduced that now. I think that stock has done uh, obviously phenomenally well. Uh, I now have about one-third of my original position. Uh, I'm not negative on the stock. I think it could continue to do well. But, you know, when you see uh, a run-up like that, you need to take some profits. All right. IBM and Verizon, the stock picks there from Bahan Janjigian. Thank you very much, sir. Good luck tomorrow. Thanks a lot. All right, coming up on the show, two tech titans are on deck with earnings after the closing bell today. Alphabet and Microsoft both trading at or near all-time highs. We'll look at the numbers and the narratives to know ahead of those reports coming up next. Plus, we'll speak with the head of one of the biggest names in defense technology and manufacturing. A C-suite view on geopolitics, artificial intelligence, national security, and what investors need to know for the year ahead. The exchange is back after this break. This is The Exchange on CNBC. Escape to Ocean City, Maryland, and discover a place that just feels lighter, where every day feels like Saturday and French fries are a food group, where flip-flops are always in fashion and seafood is always in season, where the boardwalk is bustling and the beach is right outside your door, where you can rise with the tide and feel like a kid again. Ocean City, Maryland, somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at Oceocean.com. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. 
specialised across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to The Exchange. We've got big tech on deck. Shares of Microsoft up more than 24% since its last release, while Alphabet is up more than 12%. And those two names report after the closing bell today with Amazon, Meta Platforms, and Apple reporting later on this week, on Thursday. So joining me now to preview this afternoon's results, Axios' chief technology correspondent, Ina Freed, and our own tech correspondent, Steve Kovac. Steve, we will start with you on the state of play right now. Just how important, and I kind of know the answer, but I want to hear you say it. Just how important is big technology in these earnings reports to the overall market story for technology right now? Yeah. Have you heard of this AI thing, Dom? I think uh, it's going to be pretty important big uh, for these two reports. But more specifically, when we're talking about Microsoft and Google, it's not just the AI whiz-bang stuff they're putting out. It's also the cloud business. Because keep in mind, Dom, these cloud business, Azure Cloud for over at Microsoft and the number three player, Google Cloud, uh, they're also relying on a lot of AI activity happening on their clouds in order to grow that revenue. This is what we saw uh, a quarter ago with Microsoft. They kind of showed a surprise beat on their Azure cloud because of all this activity happening on OpenAI and their uh, unique deal as part of as a major investor in OpenAI. Uh, they they use all Azure products. So the better OpenAI does, the more money going into OpenAI and the more activity happening on OpenAI and some other AI products as well uh, that all indirectly benefits uh, Microsoft's cloud growth. So analysts expecting 27.5% growth there. We saw a reacceleration a quarter ago. If that's a beat, uh, you're going to see a lot of optimism around that, uh, around the cloud business and just the AI prospects for Microsoft in general. And it's a similar story over at Google, Dom. You know, I think it's interesting only because when you talk about what most folks who are not analysts who cover technology or AI think about artificial intelligence. There's maybe one name that comes up the most often, and that's ChatGPT slash OpenAI. The other one is, of course, NVIDIA, if you want to be a derivative play, kind of enabling the whole thing. If that is the case, are there any other places in the market right now that are actually monetizing artificial intelligence where it can actually show up in the results and on the bottom line? I mean, NVIDIA is certainly the most direct because the chips are ahead of the revenue on the AI side. I think Microsoft would be the other. Um, I think it'll be very interesting this quarter today to get a look and see how AI is impacting both Microsoft and Google. And they could be in opposite directions. So with Microsoft, people are looking for true growth both in the cloud business, as Steve mentioned, but also it's going to start hitting the bottom line and the top line. At Microsoft is charging customers $30 per person per month for some of these co-pilot services at businesses. Once those numbers get significant, that's also going to be meaningful, although they have cautioned that it is very early for that. On the Google side, it may show up first as a hit to revenue, and that's because there is this theory out there that AI is going to take 
energy away from search, take views, take monetization opportunities away from search because AI gives answers and the search business is actually dependent on sort of this unknown and being able to serve up advertiser links as well as a bunch of guesses on what you want versus one answer. Now, Ina, the interesting part about the search debate is the reason why it's a debate is because you're actually seeing the AI integration in the Bing product. Now, a lot of people, I get it. I get a lot of grief for using Bing. I like using Bing. Other people use Google. I use both of them. But they've incorporated that chat bot feature into the Bing search engine. So is it fair to say that that's a compelling reason to show some concern? Because there is already an application being used for AI in Internet search, even if it's not of the size and scope and reach of, say, a Google compared to a Bing. I mean, I think it's fine for Google if AI sort of subtly comes into search. That's actually not the worst case scenario. The worst case scenario for them is that AI comes to really replace many internet searches, especially the valuable kinds of ones for particular products where Alphabet Google makes most of its money. And that is really unknown. I think anyone who tells you right now they know the answer to that uh, probably isn't telling you the truth. But I think there is some real risk there. Again, whether they bring AI into search or not, the real question is, do the economics of search change? Obviously, losing share to Microsoft or somebody else or ChatGPT would be bad. Um, but so would it be bad if Google maintains share, but search just is a lot less profitable than it has historically been. Steve, the Microsoft slash OpenAI and the Google slash Alphabet AI ambitions are fairly well documented right now. If there were to be a company out there who you think has shown some promise with regard to playing that catch up to the top line AI guys, what are those companies? Is it Amazon? Is it Meta Platforms? There's a lot of names and even Alpha, and, and I'm sorry, Alpha, Apple is now being bandied about as seeing devoting resources towards artificial intelligence. Yeah, right now, the short answer is no. No one is actually, besides the companies we were just talking about, really making money in a significant way. Uh, but you did mention Meta, and a lot of people are talking about Meta because it has a different approach towards what Google's doing, towards what OpenAI and Microsoft are doing, and that's open source, basically giving its model away for free. And oh, by the way, that open source model will be running on the clouds of all these uh, other companies too, including Microsoft, so that's a benefit to them as well. But there's, uh, there's this theory out there of this sort of closed system versus an open system when it comes to these large language models and how that could benefit Meta, uh, not as directly, obviously they're not selling it, but also to inform their products, keep people more engaged on Instagram and Facebook and so forth. So that is one to watch. On the Apple front, your guess is it's good in mind uh, what they plan to do uh, when it comes specifically to generative AI. We've seen some hints at it. For example, the latest version of your iPhone software, the predictive keyboard, uh, the, you know, the suggested words it gives you as you're typing, that's improved a little bit. It's using a little bit of generative AI for that. But as far as like a superpowered generative AI Siri or something like that, there are talks that we might get a, a hint at that uh, in June when they have when Apple has its developers conference. But what that looks like, how monetizable that all is, uh, what the developer ecosystem around it looks like, those are all huge open questions for Apple right now. Uh, but if you talk to Apple, they'll tell you we do plenty of AI. AI is all over our products. You're just not experiencing it or interacting it with it as directly as you are maybe with the chat GPT or something dumb. All right, Axios' Ina Freed, thank you very much. Our own CNBC, Steve Kovac, 
Thank you guys very much. Big week for tech. All right, coming up on the show, we're sticking with technology to have tomorrow's hearing on Capitol Hill. It is an event being described as social media's seatbelt moment. We'll tell you what Congress is doing to try to improve child safety online ahead. The exchange is back after this. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Welcome back to The Exchange. I'm Bertha Coombs with your CNBC News update. President Biden said that he held Iran responsible for the drone attack in Jordan as he left the White House earlier today. He also replied yes to a reporter who asked him if he had made a decision in response to Sunday's attack. U.S. Central Command said the attack blew up near an area where U.S. troops slept at a base in Jordan and injured eight soldiers. Berlin Brandenburg Airport warned that there would be no departures out of the airport on Thursday due to security staff strikes. Public sector union Verdi said that it plans to stage strikes at airports across Germany as well, as it applies more pressure on the government about wage talks. Airport officials say they were expecting about 50,000 passengers for Thursday. And the International Olympic Committee has awarded Team USA the gold medal, naming them the new Olympic champion in the team event from the 2022 Beijing Olympics. After Russian figure skater Kamala Kamilia Valieva was disqualified for doping. The final decision could be open to a legal challenge, however, from Canada because other teams did not have their points increased to take account for Valieva's disqualification. It's a sad state of affairs, Dom. Nobody wants to win this way. Uh, certainly for sports and everything else overall. Thank you very much, Bertha Coombs, for that. Coming up on the show, aerospace and defense stocks are trading near their all-time highs with the ITA ETF coming off its best year since 2019. But investors still have a lot of questions about the role artificial intelligence will play in that defense sector. We'll speak with one of the biggest names in that industry coming up next. Keep it right here on The Exchange. Welcome back to The Exchange. Andreessen Horowitz is hosting its American Dynamism 50 AI Edition Summit, spotlighting technology companies harnessing artificial intelligence to tackle problems across industries ranging from defense to transportation. Our own Morgan Brennan is there in Washington, D.C. and brings us an exclusive interview with Brian Schimp, the CEO of Andural Industries, the biggest privately held defense contractor and name outside of SpaceX. Morgan, I'll send things over to you. All right, Dom, thank you. That's right. And we are here at the American Dynamism Conference. Uh, and when we do talk about, about Andrew, we are talking about one of the largest, most successful, fastest growing defense tech companies uh, out there in the private markets right now. 
One of the key parts to Anduril is the fact that you are building hardware around software. You're sort of on the forefront in terms of AI, in terms of national security. How does that speak to the role, the increasing role that national security? How does that speak to the 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 national security? How does that that speak to the national security? How does 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 that speak to the national security 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 how does that speak to the national security? 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 How does that speak to the national security 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 how does that speak to the national security? 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 How does that speak to the 
national security. How does that speak to the national security? 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 How does that speak
does that speak to the national security? How 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 does that speak to the 
national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national security? How does that speak to the national This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you 
like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.